Hi, and welcome to Decoding AQ, helping you to learn the tools, mindsets, and actions to thrive in an ever-changing world. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Decoding AQ. With me today, I have Catherine Getsky, and she is the founder, chairman, and chief hope officer of the Shine Hope Company. And this is really going to be get ready to redefine your operating system for change. I want you all to uh, join me in welcoming Catherine as an innovator in the field of mental health and global depression advocate. Catherine's journey intertwines resilience, motivation, and the transformative power of mindset and hope in navigating the complexities of mental health and business. So welcome, Catherine. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. So I really want our listeners to get to know a little bit more about you, Catherine. And I know for some of our listeners, they have been advocating us to have this conversation for a while. Um, but for those who don't know uh, who you are, Catherine, she is a, a person who's just been instrumental in advancing the science of hope. And for many of you know, hope is one of our dimensions of AQ. She's created hopeful mindsets for college campuses and spearheading hopeful minds and hopeful cities throughout her nonprofit work, IFRED. She's also an author of The Biggest Little Book About Hope and the voice behind the Hope Matrix podcast. Catherine's innovative journey includes launching Mood Lights, a brand that significantly contributed to mental health awareness and achieve some awesome uh, retail sales success, $35 million, I think, and counting, and also has a role at the United Nations as a representative for the World Federation for Mental Health, which really underscores her global influence. But from a personal perspective, she's had challenges like many have in depression, anxiety, but also ADHD, PTSD, and the loss of her father to suicide when she was very young. In fact, Catherine's story is one of true resilience and transformation. Her diverse career spans from in the corporate world, companies like 3M, to leading marketing roles in her own entrepreneurial ventures, impacting just many throughout her work and advocacy. So lean in as we unravel the science and stories behind adaptation and explore with Catherine this real transformational power of hope in navigating an ever-changing world. So It'd be remiss for me not to start off with a question of, well, what are you hopeful for, Catherine? <laughs> it depends on the day. I'm okay. hopeful that we're going to get an international day of hope at the United Nations pass this year. So, but as we will learn about hope and I'll be sharing, you know, hope, you got to feel good about it and then you've got to take action to get towards it. And so... If it's not this year, maybe some year. So yeah, yeah we're working hard on that. So on that theme then, an International Day of Hope, what does that look like? And what action are you taking right now? Yeah, so well, what that looks like is a day that we focus on the science of hope for a year because most people around the world think of hope as a wish. And we talk about the need for hope and we talk about what we hope for. And yeah, most of us don't, well, a lot of us don't know how to get to hope. You know, our numbers around hopelessness are very high right now, especially in youth. And we know that hopelessness predicts violence, anxiety, depression, suicide, addiction, all of these things. And yet we're never again taught, how do you get to hope? What is hopelessness and how do you get to hope? So 
The idea of the International Day of Hope is to have a single day where we focus on the science of hope and we share, you know, strategies for hope. We, we share hope, hope measures, how we're measuring hope, you know, what programs are happening around the world that are contributing to elevating hope. And, you know, even the fact that hope is teachable, um, you know, unfortunately, we're getting trained to hopelessness right now by a lot of the nature of a lot of things that are happening. And we've got to train ourselves to hope. So that, that's the aim of the day. Um, I'm meeting with UN ambassadors. So those are the steps I've, I've yep. been working on for a few years. You know, we have a draft resolution that hope scientists have contributed to. I'm publishing a paper right now. Well, I'm working to publish a paper on um, hope and the sustainable development goals and how hope relates to each of the sustainable development goals and studies that have been done around each of them. Um, and just really elevating the knowledge of, um, you know, we've had challenges with the sustainable development goals as, you know, we have challenges in the workplace. And if you continue to pursue unattainable goals, you can actually develop clinical anxiety and depression. And so hope is a protective factor. And as we've not made a lot of progress in the last several years to the SDGs, to me, having a day where we focus on hope for the staff within the UN is super important and all of the partner agencies they work with. I mean, the UN has 35,000 employees and you can imagine when you consistently work on these and it's hard, you can develop persistent hopelessness. And so it's really about equipping people with skills to get to hope. Give us a 101 on the science of hope, Catherine. Yes, a 101, okay. there's. You know, there's some, there's a lot of hope scientists. And so 10 years ago, I was in a suicide prevention talk. I'd been in, it's been 20 years this year in global mental health. Initially started out rebranding depression, 10 years into it, suicide prevention. I had a suicide attempt in my twenties. As you mentioned, I lost my dad to suicide. And so they were talking about 800 numbers, restricting access to means like guns or pesticides as methods of suicide prevention, which are very important, especially when you're in time of crisis. And I thought, well, that would never have saved my dad and it's not going to save me. And if I want to prevent my own suicide, I have to understand what causes it. And across the literature, hopelessness is the single consistent predictor of suicide. So I come at it from a very pragmatic standpoint. You know, there were hope scientists, they were doing research on hope, there were scales around hope. At the time, they weren't teaching us how to be more hopeful. And I really wanted to get at hope from hopelessness. So I created what I call the hope matrix, because when I looked into hopelessness, it's both emotional despair so you're sad, afraid, um, angry, so emotional despair, and then it's motivational helplessness. So you feel powerless to do anything. And so when I created my first program for young kids, I wanted to teach them how to get from despair to positive feelings and how to get from helplessness to inspired actions. And I've created all of the programming around doing just that. And so that's really what I teach. I mean, we can be hopeless, you know, we get cut off in traffic and that can trigger anger or frustration and a sense of helplessness because you can't do anything about it. So hopelessness is very normal. So it's about normalizing this experience. It doesn't mean you're sick. When it becomes persistent, That what that's when it becomes kind of a clinical diagnosis and a disorder. And so it's really educating everyone. And this is what hopelessness is. 
And if we're not managing in healthy ways, that's when we turn to violence, addiction, self-harm. That's when it becomes um, an illness. And yet if we're taught how to manage it and we're proactive about managing it all the time, it's a protective mechanism for anxiety, depression, anxiety, these kinds of things. So that's really how I came up with my definition of hope. It's really a vision for anything you want, your future health, relationships, job, you know, kind of like a goal. And then feeling positive, so positive feelings and inspired actions to get there. And so that's really what we teach. Well, that is good news from my perspective, because we, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we have hope as one of the components in our AQ, your adaptability intelligence. And we based it on um, a lot of Snyder's work and yeah. the three components, you know, you need a vision, a goal, and then two things for it pathways so what are the strategies to achieve it and agency have i got the skills and motivation to follow those pathways and strategies to achieve it any of those don't exist i'm likely to have less hope and ultimately worst case hopelessness and um it's interesting when you break it down from as you mentioned this oh is it a wish is it nice to have and i even find myself now right when i'm writing an email and i'm and i use and want to use the word hope oh i hope you're having a great day and I feel in a in a little bit of a paradox of, is it okay to use that? Because it kind of makes sense to them. They'll read it. And of course, I hope that they are. But from a science basis, I'm going, all right, well, that's perhaps not the right word I want to use because it's those things. And I find myself getting really on a daily basis, Catherine, right, of, of even just where to use the word and when to use the word in my daily things versus when I'm, you know, educating the science of it and helping people, you know, understand and deal with it. Is that something you come across? Do you deal with a similar issue? Because, I mean, your company's named Hope. You must have a Hope bingo board that is full uh, in terms of the use of the word. I know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we use it all the time. I mean, I've gotten it down like 90% of my usage of Hope. You know, 10% of the time I still. And yes, I am very intentional about using it. And I know that people with me have started being more intentional about it. And we do use it so often in so many ways for kind of everything. And yet when we really talk about that aspirational hope, like what do you hope for? I mean, it is more than, you know, hoping you have a nice day. It's like, you can't, I can't really, it, I can do something about it. So if I'm gonna, you know, give you some positive, a positive like feedback or, or give you that positive um, just connection point, that is me doing something. So you kind of are contributing to their nice day, but yeah, it's, um, it is interesting when you really look at how much we use it and, and how much it's just not used in a scientific way. I mean, there's a book called hope is not a strategy. It's a very well-known business book. And so I go to workplaces to talk about hope in the workplace and they think, Oh, hope is not a strategy. I think, yeah, when you look at it from a scientific standpoint, it absolutely is. And when you look at, as you talked about Snyder's hope theory, I mean, it's all about goal direction. And when you think about workplaces, we're all about goals and, you know, achieving our goals and achieving workplace goals. And yet if people don't know how to achieve goals and know the things that um, contribute to our success and ability to achieve goals, how are we going to succeed in the workplace? And so... Hope is so important in the workplace and, and, and really misunderstood and undervalued. And, you know, when I do workplace work a lot, I really start with leadership and make sure I can get leadership on board with hope and hope language and why hope is important. Because if leaders don't believe in hope and the importance of hope, it's hard to get everyone else rallied around it. Yeah. 
do you think hope is contagious? Um, absolutely. I mean, I do think if you're practicing skills and practicing together, yes, absolutely. I think, I mean, even our team meeting. So we have shine as the framework. So I studied, you know, I have programs for young kids and I eventually started my company about four years ago, looking, creating a college course, like how can you cultivate a hopeful mindset, which I believe like hope then any challenge you have in life, you've if you want to solve it and you in a healthy way where you don't go into like an anxiety disorder or depression or you have to apply a hopeful mindset and then came up with the framework shine so the company is called the shine hope company because when we teach hope we look at stress skills so how you identify and manage that stress response happiness habits um, inspired actions nourishing networks and how to eliminate challenges to hope which are thinking patterns that kind of get in the way of our ability to hope. So all of our program is around how do you shine hope? Um, and yes, it's it's definitely contagious. Once you start strategizing on how you're managing your stress and just like even talking about it, how are you managing it? That in and of itself helps then that ball rolling of, okay, we all have stress. We're all coming up with innovative ways. I like some of what they're doing. And, you know, I think it plays off and so you kind of join on that journey to hope. We all have challenges to whatever we're moving towards and when we can kind of connect, but then keep focused on the end goal. Like we're writing our Hopeful Cities playbook and one of the guiding principles is, you know, um, solution-focused approaches. So, you know, we when we write our Hope Hero stories, it's 20% of the problem, 80% of the solution. And when you focus on the solutions and you share solutions, and that is absolutely contagious. And it's forming part of our mindset, right? What data are we putting in? What stories are we sharing? What are we listening to? Which news network or which person, which bit of data that influence our beliefs, values, thoughts, even ideas of what's possible? And you mentioned early on about the potential danger of massive goals, and the um, potential cause for anxiety of those. I'd love to dive into that a bit more because I've got some uh, thoughts, some people I hang out with, their thoughts around creating big goals. You mentioned the SDGs. Uh, they are very close to my own heart. Um, and yeah, just tell me a bit more about that. Great big goals and the potential negative side and in a true paradox and mental flexibility, what is the positive side of really big goals? Give us some thoughts on that, Catherine. Yeah, I love it. Um, so when we and when I teach hope, I teach so it's good to have stretch goals, which are those big, bold, because they force you to like get way beyond what you could ever do. You know, we think innovatively, creatively, do way more than you could ever do. So to me, it's super important to have stretch goals if you want to, I mean, like I want every child in the world to know how to hope. So that to me is kind of a stretch goal, right? And, but if I got stuck on that and was only doing that, it could lead to hopelessness very easily if I got stuck in my day to day. But then I do SMART goals as well. So I like to have a balance of goals so that I'm achieving some goals and like making progress and, and having really big stretch goals so that I'm achieving way more than I could ever possibly kind of imagine. And it allows for my thinking and the universe to give me ideas on how to get to those stretch goals, you know, and I don't 
we're, if we limit ourselves by SMART goals, which I think are also super important and helpful to learn how to actually get to a goal, it really is a systematic process for doing that. Um, I think it's really important to have a balance of both in my kind of opinion. Yeah. So. If, if, um, I remember years ago on stage, a chap called Astro Teller, he's sort of the captain of X at Google for a lot of their moonshots. And one statement he mentioned just really resonated with me. And of course, we all have selective attention, right? We only hear what we want to hear and see what we want to see, right? Of what our brain's looking for. And he said, um, essentially, I'm paraphrasing and probably bastardizing it, but we're limited but only by our ambition, right, as a human race. And we're suffering from a pandemic of lack of ambition. And so when you talk about goal hierarchy between, a, you know, moonshot, so transformational that we need a breakthrough in technology, doesn't exist, don't know how I'm going to get it, versus ah, some form of stepping stone goal to getting towards that. And so my my own linking and thought around this is um, it depends what you measure and what are you using a goal for. Measuring progress towards a goal and um, a book by... Ben Hardy and Dan Sullivan, my coach, called The Gap and the Game. So he always talks about we should measure our progress from where we were to where we are now, not from where we are now to where the end goal is. Um, whereas we should always set the goal on the moving horizon. And so therefore, it's the perspective mindset shift that anxiety is not created by lack of achieving the goal, but progress from where I was before. Um, and that's really what you should always measure yourself on to build confidence, to build capability. And if we stick in something we already know how to do and we've got the capability, that's just a project. That's not really learning. That's not growth. We need courage because we don't yet have the capability. And therefore, it's going to create a level of anxiety. But maybe your view is too much and it becomes chronic and debilitating rather than the springboard that's motivating. So what's your thoughts in that kind of framing of a few things around goal hierarchy and how we measure progress? Yeah, that's interesting. So I would ask, so if you're measuring from where you were, then how would you, like looking at the SDGs, so then how would you equate it to, I mean, I still think it can, do, if you measure from where we were, it can still develop that angst. And I still, I think unless we're taught how to manage that angst in healthy ways and how to get from helplessness to, okay, that's, that's the, and where can we go to next? And then learning skills, like not attaching to outcomes and like being like that flexibility and re-goaling if we need to, and, yeah. you know, coming up with innovative ways. I think to me, you know, I used to run from my fear, my anger, sadness, you know, I just, I turn to addiction of any discomfort in my emotional state. And I find when I dive into those feelings of discomfort, like that's when I become super innovative, right? That's when I come up with the solutions. That's when that like angst kind of, and yet we're taught to kind of run from that and that we don't want to feel that. And I feel like learning how to really embrace that and listen to what it's telling us. And then using that for fuel and for innovation and to help drive change and come up with creative solutions. Um, 
that's where kind of our power lies, which is why I think that emotional part of hope and the part that Snyder's, it's really, Snyder's work doesn't really cover that, but I feel like that emotional energy is so important and learning how to really harness that. Um, and, and so, and that's what will like, that's what will keep us from anxiety and depression is learning how to do that in healthy ways. And that's where we get into our stress. How are we managing the stressor and being really proactive about it? And when we're in times of great transition, our stress levels all increase. So like, are we amping up our skills for managing that in ways that are healthy so that we don't become more reactive or, you know, our response times to triggers don't become less and less and, you know, all of that, I think. We're complex things, aren't we, us humans? <laughs> and what it makes me think of is a, a few few areas, right, in terms of all the research and study around neuroticism and anxiety and the fact now that we, we've even managed to understand a little bit more at the genetic level what genomes are responsible for predispositions to levels of triggers of stress, anxiety, all of these things. And whether they are present or not gives a higher disposition for those to be experienced by those individuals. And they call them um, orchid uh, children or uh, what's the other uh, phrase or name? It'll come to me in a minute. And so an element that is predispositioned by genetics that then we layer on the environmental factors of what is surrounded and how do we shape the neural net of our minds to deal with some of those predispositions. And for me, emotions, these, and it's all about a lot of it is in the framing, right? You talked about anxiety or do I run away from it? Do I run towards it? Do I allow it to motivate me? Is it a trigger for innovation or creativity? And I think some of this is the allowing a disconnect between you and the emotion rather than I am angry, I am feeling angry. Angry is flowing through me rather than it's my label or my identity of that particular moment. Therefore, I can observe it and I can use it to do something, fuel me to make a decision, good or bad. You know, whatever these things are, they are data for us to be able to then listen to. And uh, hopefully the real challenge is when we're in stress levels, our cognitive functions impaired. So we're less likely to make good decisions and our problem solving is to get into a state where we are in neutral. We can make good decisions. So to, to come to your point about how do you measure, let's take the SDGs. You know, these were coming off the back of the eight millennial uh, development goals launched in 2015, 17 big goals with 69 sub targets, all, all of these things. So what I mean is the measurement, if we take one of them, zero hunger, and then the sub targets of how they break that down, what does that actually mean? Right. And those uh, 69 sub targets, they had 200 odd KPIs that would indicate progress towards them, right? They love their data. They love, you know, how do we shift around them? And many, they didn't even know how to measure, right? When they were launched in 2015. So what I would suggest is that we look at what was the state in 2015 and what is the state in 2024 against any of those? Not necessarily, where are we now looking at, oh, we've got to achieve zero hunger by 2030. Hey, we're you know, never going to hit it, whatever it might be. And our ability to predict progress is now shifting in an exponential world. I remember when, um, you know, it was well published and well released about trying to map DNA and how they set the target, how long it would take, how much money it would take. 
and they were at the point where they were thinking this is never going to happen we're way over budget 10 year plan 9 years in we're nowhere towards it and they actually managed it early and under budget because exponentials are deceptive before they're disruptive so these doublings when it's you know 0 0.1 0 0.02 0 0.04 uh right up until the moment it happens didn't look like anything was going on. 50% none there. Then the next point, ah, it's all there. So I think one of the challenges is our ability to uh, predict future outcomes and progress to something when we're a linear mindset, rather wow. than looking at technology that is now exponentially advancing our progress, whether that's in access to energy, access to food, oh, we haven't got enough of it versus stem cell grown meats or oh, it's in these little labs at certain places what would it take from there to everywhere and so all of these types of things i think the challenge is to take a holistic view yes but also be very realistic about what progress have we made let's get some confidence there and that should motivate us and should drive us to push more dream more um given that yet yeah, some people it's going to be very anxious. And I feel it. I see it. I work with the UN a lot. And a lot of them are in a state of um, despair in some cases. Yeah. I mean, I would say hopelessness, despair and helplessness because they feel Paul. And I completely agree with you. And what would it take for us to amplify those stories, right, that we're hearing when you think about how society is designed right now, especially with kids? And, and this is in our program for youth. We are trained to negativity and what we consume on the news. Everything is negative. And so that just builds on that negativity. You're not, people aren't focused on those stories. And so how do we amplify and activate those stories and those exponential possibilities and the innovations that are happening and the work that people are doing so that we can really build on that. You know, I look at the statistics with young kids, 57% of teen girls in the US identify with persistent hopelessness and hopelessness is learned. Like we are teaching our kids this and we know the outcomes associated with hopelessness. And so I, you know, really believe that we've got to start designing our society to hope and to build hope and to build on our hope muscles. And, and it's teachable and it's learnable. And you know, one of the things we have our teens do is research the news, research how it's designed, what it does to our brains and our thinking. And think about it, is that what you wanna consume? Is that, you know, the, the learning and so, and putting the power back into the hands. So taking us out of that helplessness and taking action on what we can control. Our economics are built around negative news, right? We mobilize action and sometimes that's needed, right? We need a good crisis to mobilize innovation, to see the human spirit, but it's a shame that we need yeah. crisis to do that. And you mentioned about what diet are we feeding ourselves, you know, our minds? Uh, what's the diet of information? What information do we seek? And the balance between the overwhelm of negativity to then, ooh, that's toxic positivity, uh, another part, to no, I'm intentional seeking positivity to offset. And I need a 35 to 1 ratio of positive and negative to even just get an equilibrium in the human brain. You know, so it's a real interesting one. And I, I had a question when you were uh, talking there. 
Has there ever been any research of the links between actual diet, food diet and hope and hopelessness and sleep? Yeah, um, I don't. Well, we know those higher in higher in hope sleep more. I don't know about nutrition. I mean, there's a lot of nutrition and moods. I don't know about specifically hope. And yet I would assume like you have more energy and you feel better. I mean, there's some on poverty. There's some on um, hunger and doing better in school. So there are, I think, correlations you can make. I don't know about causality. Um, and when you dig into the literature and the studies that have been done on hope, it's, you know, really critical to kind of everything. So, you know, I'm very careful about my food nutrition because I know how that affects my emotions and my mood states and my energy levels and kind of all of these things. And so that in turn affects my hope. I know that intuitively. Um, yeah, but. It's an interesting one, isn't it? When we essentially are just this chemical mix of stuff going on in our microbiome, our gut, our heart rate variability, coherence. How do we get into a state to deal with these complex problems and these complex challenges and these amazing opportunities, depending what lens you woke up today, right? Of when you see an SDG, wow, what an opportunity to do that to, oh my God, how are we ever going to do it, right? Um, on a basis of hourly or daily, wherever we may feel about our goal. So what are some of the steps and actions um, that you have that perhaps people um, can utilize that, let's say, for example, uh, we've a leader's got a clear goal. They know the goal. They've got some strategies. They've got some motivation. They've got some agency. They've got some accountability. Things are going well. And then inevitably stuff changes, right? We might have a restructure there line manager changes or shifts or suddenly a piece of technology comes in that suddenly derails their value and their identity and what the way they used to do things how can we maintain hope how can we train hope how can we learn to leverage hope when we get hit from the sidelines yeah well i mean i use the shine framework for all of it so i look at once we you know if we have a big roadblock how are we managing our stress about it are we doing it in healthy ways how are we practicing our happiness habits of getting those positive hormones release what are the next inspired actions we can take and do we need to re-goal do we need to set a new goal what are ways we can overcome our obstacles like let's brainstorm huddle think through this um, and, you know, figure out, do we need to regal? And then how do we create strong networks about our new goals and check in regularly on progress and continuing to kind of reevaluate around it and then staying out of the challenges, which is the rumination or in the, if you internalize failure around this goal that, you know, you're having a problem with that will lead to demotivation, um, you know, that we're not worrying constantly in a worry cycle. So it's, to me, it's really educating employees around or that we do this and then what are the company support structures in place to support us through this and our leaders leading with their openness and you know vulnerability about their own stressors around it right and and working together on it so to me that's really how i how i approach hope in the workplace and how um because we're always running into challenges and we always like you know, often need to regal to come up with a new strategy. Um, there's some research on hope that if you, you know, you set a goal and you talk 
about ahead of time, what are the obstacles we're going to face to that goal? Let's talk about this in a meeting. What are some potential obstacles? Okay, let's brainstorm. How can we overcome those obstacles? And so you kind of prepave your ability to overcome obstacles. And whether you hit that obstacle or another obstacle, you're going to be more likely to achieve the goal regardless. And so it's a great exercise to go through too. It reminds me of um, strategic coach Dan Sullivan, who's my coach. He created a framework 1982 called the Strategy Circle. And on the bottom of it is um, all those obstacles are the raw materials for achieving our goals and gets you to, you know, start to think about, okay, what's the outcomes? What are we trying to do? What are all the obstacles and dangers in there? And how might we strategize? It's a bit like going to play golf. If you were playing golf and you didn't know where the obstacles were, where's the bunker, where's the ditch, where's out of bounds, you wouldn't know what club to hit and where you're hitting. You just go for it and then, oh, I'm in a bunker. You want to know it. So the opportunity to identify them, raw material for overcoming them. I was in August last year at the ICF, the International Coaching Federation uh, Conference, and one of their keynote speakers was a chap called Seb, and he um, is known for something called uh, 100 Goals, something like that. And I don't know if you know of him or his story, but he... um, I interviewed him on the podcast, actually. He found himself in his 20s um, in a hotel room when one of his best friends um, had died. And he decided at that point, was his life a life well lived? When he looked at his friend, he thought, yes, it was purposeful. He lived it to his values, all of those things. And he thought, am I doing the same? And he created then a list of 100 goals random bizarre goals right from all sorts of different things and this is um i don't know maybe 15 years ago from walking on a red carpet to being married for a day to all sorts of things to being there at the birth of a stranger's child to so many different random goals and he went about trying to achieve these it manifested into a book. It's a ESPN real um, TV show now. Uh, and he's gone into countless companies in helping them set goals. And they've done a, a bit of research around the effect of even just goal setting, having a whether you achieve it or not, having a positive effect on you. So a bit like you talked about of ah, set your goal and then l- link the obstacles, look at the obstacles, identify the obstacles, the propensity for success is increased. Just setting a goal is a positive thing, gives you an energy, gives you a rush, whether you achieve it or not. And so I'm interested again, has has that come around of, okay, if we're doing hope, let's just set loads of goals and just see if we can use that as as a tool for starting to build ourselves and decoupling the relationship between positivity and the success of the goal being met versus other things am i learning am i gaining new skills am i meeting new people uh, am i pushing myself in different directions what's your th- thoughts and uh, uh, you'll have to check seb's work out it's fascinating i know i love it i love it yeah no i totally agree with that and also when we set our goals what are the feelings that we want that those goals bring 
And so let's focus on the feelings. And if we can't meet the goal that way, how else can we achieve those feelings? So confidence and productivity and engagement and connection. And so, you know, part of our goal setting is like, what's the goal? And then what are the feelings associated with that? What is that really bringing you? And why is that important to you? So yeah, to me, it's, it's much more than just a goal. It is, it's a movement, positive kind of momentum forward towards something. I think it's interesting in goals too you're up to, I think, 95% more likely to achieve a goal if you write it down and then you check in with someone regularly on it. And so it's a great way to kind of build connection, you know, write your goal down and then check in with someone regularly on your progress. And yeah, again, I mean, moving forward is kind of what we want and, and the emotional state and kind of the, the whatever that's the satisfaction is that that goal is bringing, um, is you know another really kind of important part of goal setting and i guess our goal setting evolves right from somebody else setting the goals for us as we grow up when we're kids um to then realizing oh i can set my own but am i still setting them for somebody else i'm setting them because i want my dad to you know be proud of me or my mom or my boss to then a point when Internally, am I setting them for me or my partner or in now my child? I'm setting, yeah. you know, something because I want my child to see me in a certain way. And so who's really driving the goal setting? And it it makes me think again of uh, another book by Ben Hardy, which is about uh, your future self, being your future self now. So are you setting a goal based on who you are today? What am I today, Catherine? I am this person. This is who I am. This is the impact I have. This is my thinking. Or am I setting the goal of what does Ross in a year time look like? Or what does Ross in 10 years time look like is what am I setting a goal if I was that person and then manifesting around me all the actions all the investments all the resources all the people for me to realize that uh, goal and um, I think that for me is something I'm continually developing and working on is this um, view of who do I want to become intentionally manifesting some of those things through desire through sharing accountability buddies you know all of those bits and tracking that progress and the other thing that um resonates with me is time scale right and the if if we have a vision and a goal without a time scale it's just a dream if we have a time scale depending on where that time scale is it can either create anxiety or create loads of peace you know is this a hundred year goal is it a seven generation goal or is it end of the week goal you know, are we going to get zero hunger in seven days or seven generations? Oh, well, what's my part to that? So I'm curious around your experience and maybe if you feel up for it, sharing any of your goals that you have uh, right now. I know that one of them is to get an international you know, day of hope. What else are you working on for 2024? Yes. Well, thank you for asking. And I think, I mean, a couple of things I just want to mention before I get into that, the intrinsic versus extrinsicals, we know that they need to be intrinsically motivated. I mean, you're more likely to achieve them. So it comes, if it comes from the self versus other things, other influences. So that's a really important part of goals. Um, and then one of the hardest things is like really figure can be figuring out what do I even want? Like, what, what do I want to create? Like, there's a whole world, like what, how do I go through? So we, we have a kind of the wish, um, obstacle, the, the whoop process that we kind of help can help people kind of build that out. Yeah. I mean, my, my goals are really about like 
feeling engaged in life and like I'm like productive in society and making a difference. Um, so I really think about that I'm learning. Like I, so I have a big, I love to learn and I love to create. So I've created a lot of programming around hope because that I like learning everything I can and then figuring out how to simplify that it into a language that people can understand that's not um, kind of discriminatory or there's not something wrong with you. Um, like we all experience hopelessness. How do we all get to hope? You know, um, if you're violent, it, it makes sense. And this is why, and this is what happens to the biology of the brain and body when you're triggered, which is why I love you talk about HRV. We talk a lot about HRV and in, in hope and how it relates. Um, I noticed, I think you're wearing an aura ring, right? I am. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Love my sleep. Love HRV. They're getting so much better at HRV too, um, which is really great. And um, yeah, so I mean, more specifically, I, I have hopeful cities. So I'm looking to activate cities around hope. So, you know, I'd like to activate a city a month on hope, um, more specific. I mean, my bigger goal is to get every city in the world to become a hopeful city and everyone to learn about hope and learn what hopelessness is and how to get to hope so that we were equipped with we're at least equipped with the knowledge and skills you know that we can work to practice together um the international day of hope i'd like to climb kilimanjaro this year so you know health is very important to me and kind of accomplishing things i have a goal to make my bed every day i think you know when you talk about the little goals if you just start with a couple of little goals during the day that helps to build momentum on that um and to continue to evolve my friendships and connections and really be intentional about who i surround myself with and what i um like ingest um from a you know food standpoint and then a mental standpoint i want to read a book a week um yeah connect with people uh, get a group of college students going through our college course. So working to innovate on how we can activate hope on campuses too. Uh, yeah. So those are some of them. Very hope centric. I, I've got no doubt people who are listening to this, all of us have a whole variety of complex hopes, goals, desires in all different aspects, right? Until we're faced with only one when we're unhealthy right when we're faced with a health issue we only really have one to be able to be healthy and function um when that's in place all things are on the board right around work around relationships around all of these things and it can often be overwhelming when we start to look at it right from the beginning excitement of oh it's this to god i've just realized i've got loads of them you know i make my bed i'm reading a book a week and, oh, geez, I've just exhausted myself. I know I, I suffer from yeah. the same, right? From yeah. feeling of, hey, I've got this to have. Wow, I'm exhausted just by what's on my list. <laughs> one of the things that I've started to do is to intentionally create space in every day for, in effect, zero. And mm -hmm. um, how do I put myself in a state of just neutral? How do I just be, I got nothing here, but breathing, looking and just existing uh, in there. Don't want any input. Um, it, it's really difficult. No reflection. No Just nothingness. Right. How can I get some of that paradox of 
overwhelm to just i'm here i'm blessed i'm here and 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 that's enough and so i think i think it it comes to the point for me within my own life of this balance between being completely at peace i'm good if now was it i'm good i've had a good crack um i've influenced a few people and cool yet there's so much to do and yeah. so much i'm excited by and so being able to live in that space um without you know ended up in a padded cell with a strange jacket trying to be <laughs> in that, that kind of space my my last question for you is one i ask every guest catherine and it's to do with curiosity yeah. another key component of adaptation and growth and the question goes like this it was when is the last time you did something for the first time and what was it um wow when was the last time i mean i'm trying to do something new all the time because i love to learn like just yesterday i went to the art institute to the picasso exhibits um because i like to continually see new things and expand my mind i went to many countries this year i went to qatar um for the first time i went to india well last year i should say now uh india for the first time so i am always intentionally trying to do things that i haven't done before because that's how my mind I feel like keeps growing and I love the change and newness and and kind of all of that um does that is that too many things no, that's, it... that's great I was a follow-up is sometimes you know why you know why why is it done but I think you articulated it beautifully you know in terms of it it fuels and stimulates your growth uh your passion for learning and uh, the the one thing, depending on how people respond, that I um, reflect back with sometimes is it doesn't have to be first time for it to be first time. So, oh, I traveled to Qatar for the first time I did this. How can it be the first time I go into my bedroom to go to sleep when I've done it thousands of times? How can it be the first time when I hug my partner um, when I've hugged them hundreds of times? And so this balance between thinking first and novel is because it's the first or because I am seeing it with new eyes and bringing new energy and being uh, able that when we do that, we're often open to observe things differently. Observing what, what's the new context? What's the new thing I'm observing? What am I seeing? What am I feeling? And in the consciousness of that, that the, the beauty lies in those things, right? Um, so if uh, people want to get in touch with you, Catherine, if they're interested in any of your your programs, Hopeful Cities, uh, any of your work with colleges and campuses or in companies, leaders, how do they best get in touch with you? Yeah, so the shinehopecompany.com. You can find a lot of resources, research on hope, um, papers, and my contact info is there. So the shinehopecompany.com. Um, all the info is there. You can email me. Yeah. So. Perfect. We will put that in the links in the chat. Before we close off, because that was going to be closed, but I wanted to ask you, was there anything that you would have loved me to ask or that you wanted to say that you didn't have a chance to say? 
No, I mean, I don't think so. Just anyone out there, if you're struggling at all with hopelessness, no, I, I just, there is always a way, no matter what your challenge to get from hopelessness to hope. And I would encourage you to look to other people that have gotten through a similar challenge because there's usually someone we can find. And then I always say, look at the shine framework. How do they manage the stress of that challenge? How did they cultivate those happiness habits? How did they take inspired actions? What inspired actions? Creating a nourishing network. And how did that person eliminate challenges? So, you know, it's a good framework to use really for any kind of challenge. And, and there's- There is know, always a way. I love that. It. Absolutely. I love that. Thank it's been so a much. real delight, a real pleasure. And uh, I'm ending this with just loads more questions, loads more things I want to ask you. Um, but I appreciate your time and jumping on our show. And I look forward to future collaborations, digging into more of your work and looking for opportunities to collaborate in the future, Catherine. Well, that sounds awesome. And thank you so much for your work because adaptability is so important for hope and so important for the times right now. It's really, it's going to be key to our navigating all we have to navigate. So thank you. Thank you. Do you have the level of adaptability to survive and thrive the rapid changes ahead? Has your resilience got more comeback than a yo-yo? Do you have the ability to unlearn in order to reskill, upskill and break through? Find out today and uncover your adaptability profile and score, your AQ. Visit aqai.io to gain your personalized report across 15 scientifically validated dimensions of adaptability. For a limited time, enter code PODCAST65 for a complimentary AQME assessment. AQAI, transforming the way people, teams, and organizations navigate change. Thank you for listening to this episode of Decoding AQ. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast directory, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Please do leave a review, and be sure to tune in next time for more insights from our amazing guests.